Welcome to our Harvard Macy Institute podcast. Connecting our Harvard Macy community and discussing health professions, education topics and literature. So welcome to our next Harvard Macy Institute podcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and today we're going to be talking about evidence-based learning strategies, uh, looking at a paper from Medical Teacher. And in order to do this, I'm joined by Felipe Pisa and Holly Gooding. How are you both? Great. I'm fine. Thank you so much for the privilege to be here with both of you. Thrilled to be here and excited to talk about Felipe's paper. Excellent. Well, I'll do a couple of introductions uh, right at the outset. So some of you might know Felipe Pisa. He, in his day job, is a critical care physician and head of ICU uh, in Sao Paulo down in Brazil. And uh, perhaps more relevant to today's conversation, he is a Harvard Macy Institute scholar from 2017, returned faculty in 2018 and 2019, And he also is a Harvard Medical School alumni for the Masters in Medical Education, class of 2018. So very interested in all things medical education. And uh, he is the first author of our paper today. Uh, And while we're still doing introductions, the Harvard Macy community is... uh, knows Holly Gooding well, but as some of you may know, she's the Associate Professor of Pediatrics at Emory University School of Medicine, also a lecturer at Harvard Medical School, and of course, the co-director of the Harvard Macy Program for Educators in the Health Professions. And believe me, listeners, that is very abbreviated bios for these two stars. Uh, But let's talk about our paper. So this is uh, Felipe, first author in Medical Teacher August last year, a paper titled Awareness and Usage of Evidence-Based Learning Strategies Amongst Health Professions, Students and Faculty. And this is going to be a complement to the Educators Program in October 2020. And just before we get into that uh, paper, Holling, looking forward to this, but a bit of uncharted territory with doing it virtually and online. Yes, so this will be our first time doing the educators program entirely virtual due to the global pandemic, of course, although we did do the leaders course virtually and you got to participate in that as well. Um, And it went amazingly. Uh, I was just so pleased at how we were able to use the technology to connect and to form those community relationships as we always have. Um, And as it relates to Felipe's paper, I think there are things we can do to enhance learning in the online space that relate to these evidence-based practices. So really excited to dig into that as well. Yes, I have a feeling that uh, topic may become a a, uh, feature in a future podcast because many people are navigating this and we've seen lots of fabulous online resources, including in the HMI chat and HMI community hashtags about how people are navigating this transition. Okay, so let's get into this paper. So as we said, medical teacher last year, and I'll just give the sort of short synopsis. This is a survey-based study of the awareness of evidence-based learning strategies by both students and faculty. And in fact, it shows some pretty ordinary learning study habits. And uh, the conclusion, we'll come to it in more detail, but basically say we should probably spend more time teaching students how to learn not just what to learn. So, Felipe, give us a little bit of a background. Why did you write this paper? Well, so as a physician and as a teacher, I always wanted to improve the way to learn and to teach. And when I was at Harvard Medical School and and Harvard Macy programs, I was very interested and unaware 
of the best learning strategies. So I'm very glad that Holly was my mentor because when she posed that question for us during the Harvard Macy program, most of us that were there that are interested in improving ourselves as teachers, as physicians, as healthcare professions, we were unaware of the best learning strategies, of the evidence-based strategies. So that was a really big surprise for me. And then after, right after that question and those days, I came up to Holly and said, Holly, this is uh, fascinating. Can you help me out with this uh, research? I would like to research, do the same question that you did today for a lot of students, a lot of faculty. Do you think that's feasible, that's interesting? And I'm really glad that she jumped in and said, I think it's very important as well because that's the way we learn better. So that's the beginning of the story. Yeah, and I think it has relevance, doesn't it, as we think about ourselves as teachers but certainly as learners as well. And I agree, it's a great session that uh, Holly does in the educators program well Holly that's a nice cross to you I know it's a very detailed session and I'm going to put you on the spot here and maybe give us the couple of minute version what do we mean by these evidence-based learning strategies well it's funny I hadn't actually thought about this but hearing Felipe tell his story made me realize that the listeners who listen to this podcast are going to have a leg up when I do this quiz So essentially, um, to take it a little bit back, because I love stories too, uh, Liz Armstrong, who is our director of the program, came to me when I was teaching in a couple of different parts of the program and said, you know, I'm getting a lot of questions about the evidence behind our teaching strategies. Is that something you could look into and prepare a session for us? And I said, sure, that sounds really exciting. And so I delved into the literature and it turns out there's a huge literature, mostly from cognitive psychology around effective strategies for learning on the part of individuals. I'll say there's a whole other strategy or excuse me, literature about social learning that we're not really talking about uh, in this paper. And so I delved into that. And as part of the session that Felipe is describing, I put a quiz to the audience of Harvard Macy scholars. So these are esteemed teaching faculty in health professional schools around the world. And it turns out, like me and like Felipe, many of them are unaware of these strategies. Um, and so the key ones we'll talk about a little bit more in this podcast, and then we'll go into depth in the session. Yeah, that's uh, fantastic. And I agree. But, you know, as a learning scientist yourself, you wouldn't be too worried that people knew about the answers before they got the questions. So it's true that one of the most evidence-based strategies is, a sim is simply what's called retrieval practice or testing for learning. So the, the idea of having to reach back into the cobwebs of your mind or sometimes just guess if you've never learned something before turns out to be one of the most evidence-based strategies that we have. So yes, when I see all of you in October and I ask you about the evidence-based strategies and you retrieve that because you listen to this podcast or you learn them somewhere else, that will itself be an evidence-based strategy, which is very meta, very meta. Absolutely. And that's how we roll at Harvard Macy. All right. So the, this background is uh, described in the paper. And then we go on to find out about 
what Felipe did about it. And I'm just going to read from his paper because I think it's really nicely expressed here about what their aims were and then what they did. So it said the study aimed to address the following research questions. Do health professions, students and faculty report use of evidence-based learning strategies? And do these two groups differ in their endorsement of these strategies? And then second question, do health professions, students and faculty believe in unique learning styles? Because that seems one of the particular things that comes up in understanding how people learn. So with those questions in mind, uh, the team, and I'll We'll talk about that in a minute because it's actually a very impressive team, Felipe. But uh, look, using a survey instrument, which they developed based on, again, some good evidence, uh, and they surveyed both the students and faculty and compared responses both to some questions about their learning uh, as well as their responses to some case scenarios. So they really then looked for gaps between what they actually did and the evidence from cognitive sciences. So, Felipe, just before I go any further and, and talk through the methods in more detail one of the things that's really impressive here in that is that your survey group and your research team have a real international flavor coming from harvard medical school uh, medical schools and dental schools in florida michigan uh, israel poland wow this is super impressive so um, how did you manage to do this great so Going back to what we were saying previously during the Harvard Macy course, that was very impressive how people from around the world were there to learn more and teach better. So after I figured that out with Holly, she said, why don't we uh, talk with this community here and ask them if they want to be partners with this amazing study? And that's what I've done. So at the end of the program, she let me announce and talk with all of those people that were there and share my thoughts, share my ideas. And guess what? That's what you see in this paper. And I'm really gr glad that not just this paper, but after that, we could uh, approach better. We could talk better and learn from each other. Excellent. We'll come back to a little bit of this process with Holly uh, in a minute. And I'm just going to pick out a couple of the questions so that people have a little sense of what we're talking about. So some of the questions in the survey include, how do you decide what to study next? And asking, do you do whatever's due soonest? Or do people actually set out a schedule? Uh, if you quiz yourself while you study, uh, why do you do so? Is it because you think you learn more through rereading, people using highlighters, the dreaded highlighters? Uh, and so it asks a series of these sorts of questions. So uh, that survey was sent to the students. The faculty had a slightly different but similar themed set of questions. And uh, you've got a response rate, which for surveys is probably pretty good, somewhere between 20 and 30%. And then the findings are summarised really nicely in the paper in some tables and there's some supplementary information with the actual details of the question. Uh, and look, the, the headline for the findings is there's a wide gap between what science has learned about effective teaching and learning and what our health profession students and faculty report doing. And again, to sort of flesh that out a little bit, uh, most students decide to study whatever is due soonest, um, even though most students said they would test themselves with questions or practice problems, many still reported using non-evidence-based study techniques such as rereading, highlighting and cramming. So, uh, Felipe, I guess it's always easy when you look back to think, oh, I wish I'd done it differently, but tell us, what do you think on reflection? Did your methods 
get you the answers to the questions that you'd hoped? So when I was thinking about the study, I read uh, almost everything about awareness and metacognition, about the learning strategies. And I was glad that many of those researchers outside the medical field, they were very easy to connect and communicate. Even one of the authors of the Bible for this, that's uh, the Make It Stick, uh, Henry Rodiger, he answered one of my emails and said, well, I think that's a really good idea. I think you guys should go forward. So I went to the literature and saw what was already done. And we could find out that in the health science, in the health profession, we couldn't see any of those uh, questionnaires or those surveys really being applied. So uh, to make this story short, we uh, analyzed most of the surveys that were already validated outside the medical field and did slightly some adjustments in these scenarios to make more reliable, to make more real for the uh, health professionals. We we improved and we tested. So we, we did a little pilot with some students and faculty at Harvard. So they also gave us more feedback. So oh, I think it's uh, it's a good instrument. Uh, it it fills fulfills the what you're trying to find. But we still knew that it's a self-reported uh, survey instrument. Yeah. So just before we um, go into more of the results, Holly, this is actually pretty fundamental, isn't it? The measurement problem, uh, short of putting F- MRIs on people all day. Uh, it's a challenge. And what do you think about how we know what people are actually doing in their learning strategies? It's a great question. I just have to underscore Felipe's tenacity. Uh, he was such a joy to work with as his research mentor. I still remember the day he came to me and said, I emailed Rodinger and he emailed me back. I mean, it was so cool, right? To email one of the like greats in our field um, or in the field of cognitive sciences. You know, and sometimes you just have to ask and put yourself out there. I also remember the day that he found the survey instrument, which was really great because we had been working on developing our own survey. Um, and then he found one that had been again, employed in several higher education settings. And as he described very eloquently, we went through the process of pilot testing it in our setting uh, so we could validate its use there. But you're asking a somewhat different question, which is, well, how do we know what people are really doing? Um, And I haven't actually seen a lot of research on that, but it would be quite interesting, especially now that we're all online, to embed, for example, things on people's devices so we could see how much time are they rereading, how much time are they really quizzing themselves, you know, to actually have objective uh, observations of people's study habits would be interesting. I think another thing that we really toyed with Felipe was trying to get other objective measures of people's performance. So for example, their performance on board style questions, other high stakes examinations. And for a variety of reasons, we decided um, not to go down that path, at least in this paper. Um, But it's really an interesting question. And I, I think just the awareness of these techniques as demonstrated by a self-reported survey, it is the first step. And clearly people are not even aware. So I still think the finding is really interesting, even though it's self-reported. 
And in fact, maybe even the assessment via the survey tool is in fact itself an intervention. It'd be interesting to see if people who had participated in the survey actually have become better learners in themselves. I know that was not the intent, but it may actually have been one of the impacts. All right, so one of the other things that I wanted to turn my attention to in terms of the results is looking at our role as teachers because we've talked about what did the survey find about learners. But uh, one of the other things that we really want to think about is what about what we do? And I'm just going to again read from the results here. Although most students reported their study habits were not influenced by their teachers, the majority of faculty said they discussed study techniques in class. So we've seen this gap before, what teachers think they do and what learners think their teachers give them. Uh, so it seems that the teachers think they're recommending some effective study strategies, although not all the ones they recommended did align with the evidence base that we've uh, developed here. Uh, but certainly the students didn't seem like they were getting much sense of instruction from their uh, teachers. So, Felipe, did you want to sort of comment on that for us? Yes, great. And as you were mentioning, um, after the survey, we wanted to give them something back. So at the end of the survey, automatically there was a YouTube video, a very short six to seven minutes showing the best learning strategies. What is evidence-based? What is recall? What is interleave? What is spacing, generation? In a very funny and you know joyful way, but it's uh, we, we wanted to give them, to, to show them at least this unawareness. So as Holly said, I think this is the first step. If you want to change, you really need to know that you don't know. That's otherwise you're just going to think, well, I'm doing well, as the teachers are saying, are telling us. Well, I'm telling them. They're not just using, but, but the students are saying they're not. So I think that that's very important. Absolutely. Holly, I can't imagine you were entirely surprised by the findings of the study, either at the student or faculty end. I was not surprised. Uh, and you alluded to this earlier. I thought one of the interesting and particularly, I think you use the word sticky misconceptions is the idea about learning styles. One thing that was interesting though, was that it was actually the teachers who most strongly identified with the idea that students have different learning styles. So I think it was 91% of the faculty who responded believed that in contrast to about 53% of the students, still a high number, but not as high. And I wonder if that does reflect a bit of a generational difference. So learning style theories were very, very prevalent, um, certainly when I was growing up. And I think when many of the faculty were either themselves students or early faculty, the idea that some students learn by touching and other students learn by listening and other students learn by reading. Um, and, and this idea that we should just teach every individual in the way that they learn best. And it turns out, as Felipe has said, this has been widely debunked um, by evidence-based uh, studies that show that there's some consistent strategies that work for everyone, and we should be using those for everyone. And while we may have learning preferences, or we may identify that we like to be hands-on, or we like to read, um, those are not actually there's no evidence that teaching only to our preferences enhances our learning. 
Mm, very nicely explained. Thank you. I agree. It's It seems sticky. People are very attached to the idea that they've got a special way that they need to learn or teach in some cases. All right, so before we come back to what we're going to do about this, because obviously that's one of the key reasons to do research, I did want to delve a little bit further as we've intimated a number of times, Holly, you are the research mentor here, but you're also the link to uh, doing research both with and within the HMI community. Did you want to make a few comments about that? Because this seems a success story. Yeah, and again, I think Felipe is being pretty humble, but I think it's his actual humility and just kind spirit and collaboration that was a big part of what made this work. Uh, So every year we welcome hundreds of new scholars across our five programs to the Harvard Macy community, and they come with individual projects. Um, But many of them find connections and say, well, I'm interested in this, and so are you. Could we do a collaborative project together? And so I think this is a really great example of how that can work. And Felipe gave some very clear guidelines about things you need, clear communication, decisions about authorship up front, um, ethics approval, or in this country often referred to as IRB approval. Is that going to go through one site or multi-sites? These are some of the logistical details that need to be worked out. We do have a process uh, at Harvard Macy specifically for helping to connect people um, and also for people who want to study the Harvard Macy community itself. So Felipe's project is an example of many Harvard Macy scholars coming together to do a multi-site study of their own faculty and learners, which has one set of issues. We've had other people who want to actually study our community because it's quite a unique community. And I know you have just done a podcast with someone, uh, Dr. Louise Allen, who did just that. And we will help people work through those various approvals and processes. All right. Well, let's get back to this uh, idea about what we do next with our research findings. And I'm going to put both of you on the spot here. How are we going to help students and faculty learn better having established this level of awareness? Felipe, can I ask you first, where to from here? Great question. So I think one uh, practical way to see these findings is going direct to students and tell them and show them how we learn better. This, this is the evidence. So, so talk to them, show them. So that's, I think it's the first part. Get them on board as well as we didn't know. So probably they don't know. The second part is talk with your peers and with the faculty. So if you're doing faculty development and you're thinking about a course, a program, a curriculum, how would you design this curriculum, the syllabus, in order to have the best learning strategies binded together, embedded in your course? So you have a course for six months or six days. How can you do from the very beginning, posing questions, uh, uh, making retrieval, generating, interleaving, spacing? It doesn't matter uh, how much time you have. It's just the the way of, of thinking differently. And as I can tell you, a a very practical thing I had in this past few months, I had the challenge to build 220 ICU beds during the COVID-19 pandemic. So as a head of one of the biggest ICUs in the country, I needed to hire a lot of, of physicians and critical care physicians were not available anymore. So we needed to invite 
pediatricians, uh, orthopedics, uh, very different uh, physicians and backgrounds. So how could we uh, teach them very basic uh, critical care uh, support? So from the beginning, I went back to all I've learned with this research and I said, well, we need to do some, uh, first of all, uh, recalling after I did any simulation or any teaching online. Uh, I post questions time to time. I interleaved and I spaced. So I, I knew that was very hard to, you're not going to uh, transform someone into a critical care physician or emergency physician in a few days. But I knew that some key elements were really, really important to treat those patients. That uh, was very surprising. So after a while, I'm keeping asking them, say, wow, are you, are you going to keep me asking the same questions? Say, well, that's what the evidence shows. So that was uh, really cool. And uh, I'm glad I, I, I was aware of this to teach them. And we had amazing, great results throughout this experience. Yeah. That's a fantastic example, Felipe. Thank you for that. Uh, and I like your comments too about how this actually needs to be embedded. As with quality improvement, we can't make this a matter of effort. It has to be a matter of design. Uh, so, Holly, similar thoughts, different ones. Where to from here? How do we foster this metacognition? Well, first, I just want to thank you, Felipe, for your service leading an ICU. And what a timely tie-in. I mean, this can really be a matter of life and death. I know we don't think about that sometimes as educators, but you know, here I am, I take care of adolescents who are a much uh, less affected population. Um, and just hearing that story about how you trained doctors who worked in other settings um, using these evidence-based principles to be able to provide care in the middle of this global pandemic. So, um, you know, in the paper, uh, we highlighted one specific example from the Penn State College of Medicine. Shout out to another Harvard Macy alum, Dr. Jennifer Mecca, who's no longer there, um, but she's now at another institution. And she created an amazing program where she both teaches the students these principles, as Felipe mentioned, but she also works with the faculty to design their syllabi, to design their courses, as Felipe also described, to impact that structural change. Um, and so I think that's a wonderful example. You can read more about their example. And I hope more programs will embed that into their both faculty development so that we're reflecting on what we do and what works and learning what works and on our student development. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think both excellent strategies and strategies in action. So just as we start to wrap up here, I'm just going to remind our listeners we're talking about a paper by Pisa et al. in Medical Teacher August 2019 called Awareness and Usage of Evidence-Based Learning Strategies Amongst Health Profession Students and Faculty. And we'll have the link to this paper both in the course syllabus, but for those of you listening from the Harvard Macy community. We'll have it in the episode description. And we'll also have a link to a couple of the references that have been made, particularly to the Make It Stick book, in case you haven't read that yet, because I would agree, really great learning resource. Well, Holly, Felipe, it's been a fabulous chat. I want to thank you both for your time and we'll look forward to um, more discussions on this topic and many more on the podcast and uh, with the Harvard Macy community. Thank you both. Thank you very much. Uh, great 
privilege and honor to be with Holly, my mentor, my friend, uh, someone that I really admire. And thank you so much, Victoria, for the invitation to be here. Really, really glad. Thank you so much. Thank you.